What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Finding Strong Podcast. It's your host, Mark Bonhorn, sitting here with Pat Gates. Well, what's up, what's up, what's up? So today, Pat and I, I, I think I can speak for you. We're pretty excited uh, to have a special guest on the podcast, Patrick Cutter. Yeah, Patrick Cutter, he's, uh, you know, he, he's like an all-around athlete. You know, he kind of dives into his upbringing a little bit, you know, how he's involved in like football, basketball, and how he got really started into running. Yeah, and he, while he's really impressive athletically, running really fast times in the marathon, he, uh, he kind of sticks out like a sore thumb, you know, being so muscular uh, and prioritizing weight training so much while still running at a pretty high level. Um, and that's, he's really unique in that sense, and it's, it's gained him quite the following on Instagram and other social media platforms. Um, and you would think somebody with, with that amount of followers or that level of success would be unapproachable, but he's really anything but. You know, prior to this podcast, I got to spend a little bit of time with him in Houston. You know, we went out to dinner a few nights and hung out with some really, really cool people. And the thing that strikes me most about Patrick is, like you said, Pat, he's very humble, very genuine. Um, but he goes out of his way to make sure everybody around feels included um, and, and, and feels like that they're part of the group. Like, he is such an inclusive person. Yeah, you know, it's like it's like the type of genuine where he he is the genuine. He's genuine to a point where you you feel like so comfortable you can you're like willing to tell him anything. It's just yeah. like he's so easy to talk to and he's like there and available to listen to whatever it is that you gotta say. Yeah, yeah, and in this podcast we touch on a number of things, you know, namely his journey with running, um, his ability to balance running at a really high level with coaching. Um, and weight training and then also like his transition from from working a very physical job uh that he's done for seven years and has become quite comfortable in to taking a new leap of faith in some senses to go on and coach and basically run full time so it's it's really interesting to dive into this and see it from all those angles and you know he's somebody that's really successful and he didn't have a great race in in houston um and it was interesting to get his take on that while it was still really fresh um, and then I loved his just approach about how he's going to bounce back, you know. Oh yeah, definitely. And and you know what? Knowing him, uh, he and no race defines him. I know he says that a little bit, um, but he's going to go get after, it and the next race going to be way better. Yeah, and I have to say, while we are in in Houston, we already know this guy's a beast. He's a machine. This is a man who I watch with my own two eyes consume eighty dollars worth of pasta. <laughs> that's that's impressive. I wash it, and the portions were small. I will give him that, but impressive nonetheless. Because I, I don't know anybody that's consumed eighty dollars worth of like just spaghetti. I mean, I've been to high-end restaurants where we, where we paid a lot more per plate, but, 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 but in spaghetti, eighty dollars—that's, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. Because I, you know, you know, like sometimes when I cook pasta, you know, how much is is for one? You actually cook the whole box, and then you're left over with a bunch of pasta. I feel like that's kind of what he did. Yeah, and it cost you thirty cents. Yeah, it cost um, this man eighty dollars. <laughs> they must have they must have sprinkled gold shavings on it instead of parmesan or whatever it was. I don't know, but I saw the bill with my own eyes. I watched him consume it. It's eighty dollars for the pasta in my book. Oh boy, I uh, my head would have started spinning. Yes, yes, yes. His was, but anyway, let's let him tell the story. Let's get into the podcast. All right, here's Patrick Cutter.
Hey everyone, welcome to the Finding Strong Podcast. I'm your host, Pat Gates, sitting here with Mark Bottenhorn. What's going on, everyone? And today we got a special guest on, Patrick Cutter. Patrick Squared. Pat Squared. All right, hey, cool. Going, We're happy to have happy you on. You. Uh, um, so I want to I want to really just dive right into this uh, right into this podcast. It's our it's our second attempt at it because of some connectivity issues. But um, de- I definitely want to uh, I, I want to start out by saying you're not what somebody would think of when they think of a conventional runner, right? And I mean that in a very positive sense. I don't mean that in a, in a negative way. Um, but I would say. Mm-hmm you don't fall under the spectrum of what people see when they think of runners, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's um, typically people have uh, an idea of uh, a marathoner is, you know, somebody who's, you know, kind of rail thin and, you know, they're kind of like a string bean and, you know, they've never stepped foot inside of a, a weight room, you know, but uh, uh, I've being a former football player and, you know, I've always been around the weights as a, uh, as long back as I can remember. And I've uh, continued to uh, uh, keep lifting weights and stuff through uh, marathon training. And um, it's a definitely a more uh, unconventional method than most people. But, you know, I've, I've, I've enjoyed uh, trying to balance both. And um, I think if you stay committed to both, you can find some middle ground. Yeah, I think so. And I think that you're proof of it. Um, you know, because of this, you're very unique and and you've amassed this, this huge kind of following on, on Instagram. And I think it's incredible that you reach so many people um, and you're able to inspire so many. Um, so I, I frankly think for me, at least because of my background, I think what you're, what you're doing is a lot cooler than just going out and, and running marathons and different things like that. Like that's very cool for every, anybody who wants to do it, but I love how you kind of have this hybrid athlete thing. It's really exciting for sure. Yeah, man, it's it's definitely it's definitely a, a fun to to do both, and um, I think a lot of people, you know, don't want to be, you know, just like a slender runner. They want to be that that hybrid type, and um, you're never going to be like, you know, the Hulk and then like Kipchoge uh, mixed into one. You know, um, you know, but if you can you can go in there and lift some weights, and you can you know you can run as fast as you want, and um, if you, you put the time in, I mean, it's uh, you can get results, and I think that's what people can see that hey, Patrick's doing this, and you know it gives me hope. That yeah, I, I think that's so good for the for for the runner who maybe isn't trying to go to Olympic trials, but still wants to run some really respectable times, but also um, w- wants to have maybe a, a physique and a body that they're confident with. I think that you help you help find that middle ground. So that's cool. You bridge the gap between the two athletes really well. Um, before we before we jump into it, what's your what's your height and weight? Um, five foot ten yes. and a half. Okay. Sure, include that half. That's very important. <laughs> and I'm uh, I'm a hundred and uh, I don't know since I haven't ran in four days, so it might okay. Be actually more so fun. most most runners, your height right that that I mean, run at the level that you do probably come in. I would say closer to 145 to 150 pounds. Is that probably fair to fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, of course there's, you know, going to be some higher, some lower, but yeah, I would say that's generally probably, okay. you know, yeah, I think, I think right in that range. That's really cool. So, you know, take us, take us back and tell us how it all started. Uh, so I don't have the, the most conventional uh, running background. Uh, I didn't run um, 
cross country in high school or middle school. Uh, I was a uh, former football player, and um, I remember back as a kid, I just loved to to run whenever we would do wind sprints and stuff after practice. And, um, you know, I did the same thing in, in basketball. And, you know, I kind of carved out my role in those sports by just, you know, working hard and, and running. And I really, really enjoyed just pushing myself and running. And that's kind of how I first noticed my, my love for, for the sport. Um, as far as like organized, like running, like I did, um, I uh, ran track in, um, see my junior year of high school. And that was after the, the basketball coach had told me that I probably wouldn't have played on the team. So that kind of sucked because I was, you know, I love basketball and I was had dreams. I was going to like play pro someday, but those were fizzled by the time I was like 15. And, um, I just remember um, doing track and that was, that was just like my first time where I, like, Hey, this is something I'm good at. And, um, I really enjoyed competing against other people and against myself. And then from there, um, I, I graduated from high school and I uh, went off to college and our, uh, college didn't have a, a, uh, a track team across country. So I kind of just kind of running on my own a little bit, you know, a few times a week. And then eventually I got into my first, uh, half marathon in 2012 and um then my first marathon like two months after that and this past sunday in houston it was my I finished that's my that's uh, that's cool man that's cool how you got into it like obviously you and i have a lot of parallels and i don't have the uh traditional background in running like you so i always i always enjoy your story because I, I i can draw so much uh, similarity from it um so what was the time on your first half marathon that you ever ran uh Right around okay, one, so that's pretty fast. I mean, that's a that's a considerably fast time for somebody who who hasn't run in the past and yeah. is just really doing their first half marathon. So, okay, and take us through a timeline of your, I guess, um, how you lowered your times in in the marathon distance and 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 below if you'd like. Yes, yeah, so I I did my first um, marathon. It was the Hamilton Marathon in uh, Canada in uh, 2012, and that was just a couple months after my my first half. And um, the goal was to you know go out there and uh, achieve a BQ. And at that that point, the the uh, the time needed for my age group was 3:05, and it was a really ambitious goal. I was like, hey, if I can run 132:30 and a half, I could just do that twice. I'll get my BQ. And I thought it was that easy, and I learned the hard way that's not like that. And I ended up finishing, I think, a little over 310 in my first marathon. And I was pretty pretty upset because I, I'm so hard on myself and I expect so much out of myself to, uh, you know, do the best I can. And I hate falling short. But um, great part about running is you always have more races you can sign up for. And uh, I did the, the Buffalo Marathon in um, May that following year. And that was the first time I broke three hours. And I... Uh, qualified for for boston and since that time I, i've broken three in every marathon i've done and um i've slowly chipped away every year um and my, my my pr for the marathon and i, I got down from like two, 259 then with the 258 and then um eventually i broke 250 and then 240 i broke 240 for the first time in um 2017 at the boston marathon and then in uh, 2018 i ran under 235 for the first time and this is my current PR. I ran that at um, the California International Marathon. And um, I've now done um, Chicago five times. Um, I'll be heading back for my sixth Boston Marathon. 
in April, and I'm really excited for that one because I got some redemption to uh, take care of. Yeah, and I do want to get into Houston, but I have a few a few questions for you. So you you basically lowered your time from from three ten, yeah. which is I, I think most people would be really happy with that as a first marathon, um, down to two thirty five. So what's a two thirty five marathon is is roughly like six minute pace, right? Yeah, it's like 553. Five, okay, yeah. Five, um, five, so, I mean, that that's pretty impressive. And and what was your training like uh, leading up to that to that marathon or, or your current marathons? Uh, it was like in the beginning of my training, it was so it was so different. It was, you know, I was just kind of just going out running and on my own. This was kind of before. Instagram was really big and all these training plans were out there. So I was just kind of doing my own thing on my own and just hoping everything fell into place and I would be able to run good. And um, eventually I ended up using, I think like the Hanson's marathon method. I used that for a while and I didn't follow it to a T. I kind of just switched some things up, but I used a lot of the basis of it to um, get me fast. And I eventually worked my way down to 240 using that plan. And then I, I just I uh, decided in uh, 2016 to get my uh, get myself a coach, and I've been with him. Uh, my coach is Michael Crouch. He's with uh, McCurdy Trained, where I'm a current coach of as well. And I've been with him for um, going on four years now. So, and he's uh, he's brought me places where I never thought I could go. And you know, I still think my my best. Times oh, are, have no are doubt about that. Good. I mean, in terms of uh, running, I mean, you're you're pretty young for one, but in terms of like just starting to run i think you have so much more uh left in the tank than most people would at this stage so i i would imagine uh you have a lot left in you um what what did your your mileage peak at like what is your max mileage in a week typically peak at um so this was uh, a different cycle uh, heading into um for houston this is my first cycle i completed that um it was after i left my job um after seven years so the mound was a little different than what it usually was. Um, so this cycle, I got up to 95 miles and that was, um, just one week. I think I had, um, two miles or not two miles, two, two weeks that were, um, over 90 miles. And, but before that, my mileage usually was 75 to 85, but usually like my sweet spot. Um, and I'm still kind of on the fence. I'm not really sure if I'm, um, I'm a huge big mileage guy. I think I kind of like the, maybe a little lower, you know, cause you're kind of spread on that line of, you know, loving to run and versus, you know, do I still like this? Or yeah. I mean, for me, that's what's always blown my mind about some of, you know, the people I race against and, and some of the people that you race against as well. And some of them are putting in 120 and 130 mile weeks. And yeah, I love running. Yeah, I don't know if I love anything it, yeah. that much to be able to do it th- that much. So um, I, I would probably fall on the lower mileage uh, end as well like you do relative you know low lower mileage but yeah so that that's an interesting take so um you were working a pretty physical job while you were setting all these prs and running all these races right Mm -hmm. what was your what was your job like what did it entail so i worked i worked for um a uh uh, grocery uh, store it's called wagmans i worked for their warehouse and um, basically what our, our, our job entailed was we'd get these store orders and we'd drive around on a pallet jack and we would select items for, you know, these stores and, um, our warehouse, we serviced all, um, hundred plus stores that are um, within the company and, uh, very, very physical, very physical job for sure. Um, every night you would, we would select, you know, probably 
several thousand cases a night. I mean, anything as small as like a tiny box versus something that's, you know, weighs 50 pounds. And it's just a lot of repetitive, you know, um, bending over, standing up and, you know, stacking stuff on a pallet, you know, building a pallet and then having to wrap it by hand. And um, I, for most nights, usually you're on your feet for, um, I would say, three to four miles worth of walking and stuff. And it definitely was a lot of work and it was um, definitely a challenge at times, you know, trying to fit in uh, a training for um, marathons and working that job. I get out of work sometimes at, you know, two thirty in the morning and then have to wake up at, you know, 5 a.m. to try to get, I know, a 20 mile run in. And, you know, it's, it's not easy, but yeah, you um, did, you did make it happen. happen and, so. and, and I'm sure that's really tough. What, like, what's the driving factor behind that? Because I think most people, um, would say i'm not i'm not doing that <laughs> you know uh like they would make excuses different things what what drives you to to, to do that well there's, there's a couple things that i think that that drive me and um i'm a big big believer on you know creating habits and i think if you create habits they they turn into routines and you know, it doesn't matter like, you know, how tired you are or what you have on your schedule. You're going to be like, Hey, I got to do this because, you know, I, I always do it. And this is what I got to get done. And, um, you'll, you'll find yourself making less and less excuses if you're, you know, in this routine. And for me, that's what, um, you know, pushed me to, you know, get out the door when I was on running on less than two hours of sleep and you know, I was tired, but, um, you know, I got out there and, and there's other people out there that have to do the same thing, you know, and, um, you know, they have families to, to deal with and, you know, they have, you know, other commitments and I'm not the only one out there, you know, trying to juggle things. And the other thing too is, you know, I always know it's just somebody out there is getting better if, if you're, if you're not. So I always try to, you gotta, you gotta keep up with your, with your competition and not that running's about beating somebody else, but if, if you want to get better, you gotta be out oh, there. 100%. You, you go- yeah, def- definitely. Yeah. Build, building up that habit, you know. It's you get to the point where it feels weird when you don't do that, you know. Yeah, I'm at, the, I'm yeah. at the point where like if I'm not training in uh, some aspect twice a day, um, I feel I feel super uncomfortable. Like I don't I I don't know if it's almost dangerous at this point, but I guess there could be worse things to uh, be addicted to. So, um, but yeah, it's definitely an ingrained habit for me as well. I, I think that's an interesting take on it. I love how like, you know, there's a. There's a former Navy SEAL. His name's Jocko Willink. Are you familiar with him? Okay, so he gets up every morning at 4 a.m. to start training, and uh, he's no longer a Navy SEAL. Um, and they, people ask him, why do you get up so early? And he said that he gets up so early because he wants to be up and training before the enemy is. And I always, I always think about that, like, from my own training. And I'm like, the people I'm racing against are training when I don't want to, when I'm tired, when I'm hungry, when I've had a tough day at work, they're still training, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. So you uh, you bring up a good right point, there. and I don't want to lose a step on anybody. I need. I'm not talented, so I need every advantage uh, that I can get. So that means a lot of training, right? Um, <laughs> so, do you do you think um, maybe any of your upbringing, like maybe the rejection with basketball and things like that, kind of shaped your your perception of how you do things as a runner? Or were you were you just always kind of built that way? <laughs> Um, I think I was, I've always been built that way. I've always been kind of, um, kind of like that, I guess. And, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm forever grateful that, that, that coach told me that, 
you know, you weren't going to be good enough to be on the team. And if, if I honestly don't know if, if my, my love for running would have, would have, if, if the story would have turned out the same, had he said, Hey, join the team. And then, you know, I, I played or whatever. And then I never did track. I don't know that I would be sitting here being on this podcast right now, or I don't know if I would have run 22 marathons. So um, as much as I, I hated that, hear that, that he basically told me I was, wasn't good enough. Um, I'm appreciative that, um, that he told me that and um, it's changed me in a way and it's brought me to where I am right now. So I'm just, I'm grateful for that, for that coach, uh, coach Dianetti. He actually was a teacher at my school and he actually, he passed away. Like I think a year later after that he had, uh, he had cancer. Oh, that's, that's terrible. Um, that, yeah, that's horrifying. But I, I think that what, what he did is important, right? I mean, it was important for your story, but I think too often, I don't want to sound like an old person, but in t- I don't want to say in today's society, but I, I do feel like things are often sugarcoated. Um, and when we do that, we don't allow people to reach their full potential. And, and, and I can't help but feel like him him being really honest and real with you as much as I hurt in the moment led to such great things for you that you would have maybe otherwise tackled. So I could see how you're, I could see how you're grateful for that. You know, yeah. I've had uh, coaches tell me things like that before, or I've had coaches just straight up tell me like, you have so much talent, but you can't focus. And if they, if they wouldn't have been just brutally honest with me, I don't think I would have maybe developed the tools necessary to focus on things. Um, so I have a, you know, similar feeling with that. Um, so I guess we can we can get into the Houston Marathon if you want to. I know it's a little bit of a sore spot for you. <laughs> okay, I'm, that's I'm good. good. So I'm, I'm, I'm over so uh, you went in with a goal of running faster, running a PR, right, 235. You thought you were in pretty good shape. Um, this was the first training cycle where you weren't doing this manual labor physical job, yeah. and you were running pretty high mileage. You were just supporting yourself as a coach now, right? Mm-hmm. Effectively living like a professional runner. Yeah, that's correct. That's okay. Yeah, that's okay. It's not a, running the time of a professional runner. Um, you're still making. What's really yeah. cool is you're still making a living doing something you love, and you get to surround yourself with it. Like, isn't that amazing? Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's. Dude, I'm. I'm grateful for that because you know it's. It doesn't even feel like work. You know, if it's if you're doing something you're passionate about and you enjoy, which I, I love. And yeah, that's what that's what Pat and I were talking about the other day. Like, my whole life is basically surrounded by running. Like, I work for New Balance. I coach. Uh, you know, four dozen runners and I just train like full time and it's really cool. Like I'm not Kipchoge or anything like that either, but um, I get to live effectively like a professional athlete and, and do what I love. Like I'm a pig and slop, you know, and it's, I I hope everybody can feel this like, because it's, it's so amazing. Um, But okay. Take us, take us through, uh, I guess your lead up to the marathon, like the last couple of days before and then, and the marathon itself and your reaction to it. So heading into this uh, this uh, this cycle, it was you know in kind of unfamiliar territory, you know, with the uh, the, the job change, and um, it was just I had different. It was just such a different um, feel for how things were going because I, I was so used to training on, you know, tired legs and you know being tired on getting little to no sleep, and um, I knew this cycle would be like kind of a um, a different experience because I was you know just everything was different, you know, sleeping patterns and eating times and, um, you know, different workouts and higher mileage. And so I, I was sure to be um, honest with myself that um, I didn't want to put this pressure on myself that, you know, I was going to blow it out of the water. And 
I actually didn't even feel that great most of this cycle, to be honest. I mean, it was up and down like most cycles, but I would say it was until about, you know, three to four weeks before um, Houston that I started feeling like, okay, hey, I think I'm starting to finally adjust and adapt to this this new lifestyle. And, um, you know, two days before the, the race, I was I had a, a great last few workouts, and um, I really thought, like, um, I was in shape to run the fastest I've ever ran, you know, and I was texting my coach throughout the week. I'm like, this is going to be a great race and um, things are going to go great. I'm going to get a PR and um, never felt better. And, but I've, I've done these long enough to know that, you know, uh, marathons are, they're such a long way. And, you know, there's so many variables and factors that are out of your control and it doesn't matter. Fitness guarantees nothing, you know, you can be in, um, the best shape of your life, but um, anything can happen inside of 26.2 miles. And I, I learned that um, um, the hard way, I guess, on, uh, on Sunday. Yeah. So where did, where did everything go wrong for you? I mean, were you, were, were you on pace to do what you wanted to do and run your race at a certain time and then you fell off or was it right from the beginning that you knew something wasn't right? So usually it's, it's this is weird. So I would say like 90, 97% of the time, I can usually tell how a race is going to go. And I think most runners, if you had to ask, they would tell you the same thing that, you know, if they feel a certain way by, you know, the 10K mark or maybe a little after, they're going to get an idea of how this race is going to play out. And I had the same feeling because, you know, I started the race and I felt awesome. You know, I was through, I was through like the 10K. I was on pace for, I think, 232 or 233. And, I don't know. I think it might have been right around where the the um the half and the, the marathon they split. Um, I was running with a big group of guys, big pack of people. There was probably fifteen of us, and um, I remember thinking to myself, uh, "This race is going to be great. I got a great pack of people to run with." You know, it was really windy out. The wind was hitting hitting you from every which way, and I was like, "I'm just going to tuck in behind these guys, and you know, it's going to be smooth sailing to a PR." You know. I mean, not that marathons are easy, but that was just, I was just thinking it would be a little easier and running with a bunch of people. And um, once we made the split, I was like crushed because that whole pack of people, literally every single one, they they went to the half, they went to the left and the marathoners went to the right. And it was just me by myself. I turned down the street and I looked down the street and there was like two runners way down the distance and I was all by myself. And um, psychologically, I think that was like a, um, a shock and like a blow and I don't want to say if I lost my race right there but I definitely think I, I let it get to me a little bit and and then my, it just I tried to hold on and I felt fine I mean I got to um, you know 13 to 14 I was right on pace I was running you know 550s and um, we made the turn at like 14 the wind was at my face and it, it just is okay. So, from there. do you think that it was more of a? I guess, like you said, was it was it more of a a, a mental letdown, or do you think that uh, maybe the wind, or, or was it just a combination of both? Probably. Yeah, it's. I, I'm still like, you know, it's it's now like four days after the race, and I still like, I, I just don't know if it was. I mean, it was sure it was windy, but people PR on, on Sunday and. You know, and I'm, I'm not one to, you know, make excuses for, for the weather because there's guys out there running, you know, lifetime bests. And um, it's just it was just my, my legs just didn't want to go. I mean, I know I made the, the conscious decision to um, 
drop my pace a little bit and, and slow down because the wind was just so bad. I was like, you know, I'm just gonna, you know, slow down and conserve my energy through, uh, you know, the next three miles or so. And then, you know, I'll jump back down to my, my goal pace and, you know, I'll have enough energy to finish. And uh, for whatever reason, my legs just didn't want to go and they just felt worse and worse and they felt heavier and heavier. And it was just, it was a horrible feeling. Like when you, um, you aren't feeling great and you still have a long ways to go. And I was telling people after the race, you don't realize how long a marathon is until yeah. you have a long way oh, to go. Oh, no doubt. Um, people sometimes say if you, they say time goes by so fast, but if you hold a plank position, it seems to slow down to nothing. But those people that are talking about that probably have never struggled their way through the last yeah. 10 miles of a marathon or beyond because that stops time. Like it's insane um, how much of a struggle it can be at times. It was. <laughs> Yeah, man. So, like, have a goal was and I was, I was, I was there in the beginning, and then um, slowly that goal shifted to course PR, which was was sub two thirty five. I was like, okay, it's sub two thirty seven, and then eventually that one went away, and then then I was sub two forty, and one by one, all these goals were just like vanishing, and it was like such a blow. But I just like I had to keep like keep fighting and you know trying to push through, and um, my 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 last yeah yeah no doubt and um I think it takes a lot of strength. I think some there are people that, in my opinion, would have just dropped in that situation. Um, so I think it shows a lot of strength that it wasn't your day and you just grinded it out and it speaks to your, to your character and we wouldn't really expect anything different from you. Um, so immediately following the race, what was, I, I guess, and then now, you know, over the last four days, what has been your, your thought on it? I mean, you're disappointed. I would, I would imagine, right. Yeah, of course I'm disappointed. I mean, no one really trains to to run the worst they've ran, you know, in, in whatever how long it's been. But you know, you you train to run your best. I mean, that's what we we do, right? And we train to you know push our bodies as as far as they can go and as hard as they can go. And you know, and it it, it sucked. I won't lie. I mean, I was crushed um, when I was after the race, and you know, I, I put a lot of time into to this. And but you see it all the time, you know, you know, pros or amateurs, or whatever, you know, you, you put in the time and. It, it doesn't guarantee, you know, a certain race result. And, and I know this is just, uh, just one race. And, you know, um, I was talking to my coach after the race and, you know, he told me, you know, things are going to be all right. You know, it's just one race and there's always another one in the, in the, in the distance. So um, I would say one, one bad race doesn't define any more than one good one does. So, you know, you, you learn from it and, you know, uh, you take what you can away from it and you, you can, be upset about it for for that day no nope, no nope. um you know you said something there that that i thought was you know, interesting you said you know one good race uh, doesn't define you and one bad race doesn't define you um it, it, it to me seems like you're not really defined uh by the outcome of a race and that's something that i'm trying to uh nail home to people like a number doesn't define you um and what you do on the training day in and day out a marathon or above or even below can be um 
like everything, everything can be right in your training and your, in your daily life and you can have a bad day for whatever reason. Um, so if people are defined solely on results and not the process itself, I think that's where it becomes destructive. And I think the reason that you're able to bounce back, be so resilient and have such good performances is because of that process versus the outcome of the race, you know, or your emphasis on that process. So. Yeah, I mean, you just got to you got to give it your best on, on that day. I mean, you're not going to feel the same way every day, especially in, in, in the racing world. So it, the, the most you can do is just, you know, do do the best you can on that day. And, you know, and on, on, on Sunday, that that was my best. That was the best I could do. And results aside, you know, I got to the finish line and I tell people, you know, it, it at some point, it, sometimes that's all it's that you can do is just get to the finish line. And I think there's it's good to, you know, push yourself through, through the races like that. You know, it's, um, in one of my posts I wrote a couple of days ago, I said that, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to, you know, run when things are feeling great, but how are you going to respond when you yep. feel great? hundred percent. It's about, it's about being strong willed. And that was a great post that you made and it's really relatable. Uh, I think in a, in a lot of senses. So what's your plan for bouncing back for the next race? Do you have another race planned yet? Yeah. Yeah, so basically, I'm taking off all this week from from running. You know, I'll do a little bit of running next week. You know, probably won't even be that much, like 30 miles, 40 miles, something like that. So, um, I'm really um, big on recovery. So, even though it wasn't, you know, a, a very taxing race from the standpoint of I didn't really kill my body too much. Um, I think recovery is so important because you know, 26, 26.2 miles is, is a long way. So. I'm going to recover and then um, start the build up for, for Boston because Boston is um, only about 90 days away, I believe. And I'll be getting ready for that in April. And I'll probably be doing a half sometime in March for, uh, for a tune up. So I got some races on the docket and I'm, uh, I'm yeah, hundred percent. So are you going to change uh, um, the approach at all? Or is it to, uh, just going to kind of be know, more about, of the know? same in terms of training? Are you going to, are you going to give the high mileage uh, kind of philosophy another go? I mean, I think it's going to be kind of one of those things where, you know, see, play it, play it out and see how it goes. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. You know, I think my body is still adjusting and adapting to the increase in, in mileage. Um, you know, everyone is, is different in how they respond to, you know, um, mileage. And, you know, I'm not going to say no to that, doing that ever again. Um, but, you know, we'll see how it goes, you know, and me and my coach are always on the same page and, you know, and um, if we have to tweak some things, that's great. But um, I really don't think it's, it's always about um, changing, changing up too much things. Okay. Um, okay. That's a, but, you know, that, that's a good plan there. I think that obviously after leaving a, a, a job that you had for seven years and going to this new and fairly unknown um, thing, I'm sure with, with the uncertainty and the excitement of the, of the career change, I mean, there's a lot of stress that comes along with it that surely could have played a role, you know, in this race. And I think as you adjust more, um, you'll definitely have no issues. Yeah, you know, and um, I, I knew that going in here and um, me, my coach and I, we had a, a conversation a couple months ago and um, he asked me if I if I wanted to, you know, pull out of this race and, you know, just, you know, work through this, uh, this um, 
cycle and then just get ready for Boston. I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I think we can do this. And, um, you know, yeah, it wasn't the result I wanted, but it, I learned a lot this cycle and, you know, it was more of a transition and, you know, kind of get used to this new lifestyle. And, um, I'm glad I, I went through it and it's just going to make me, um, more ready and i think 100 percent. i love your ability to take away all the positives from this um it seems like a win like if you if you isolated the result and we didn't know the results the way you were talking right there it seems like you had a really good experience so just being able to take those positives away i think is a, a testament to your strength and everything like that but i gotta change the subject for a second um you know we went to dinner before the before the race the day before the race and um, you're, you're, you know, when you're 185 plus pounds, you got to fuel the machine. <laughs> yep. And I understand that, but I've never been with somebody that's ordered $80 for the pasta before. And, <laughs> and you did that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you want to, you want to tell us about that story? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did. Man. This, so I'll be telling, I'll be telling this story for years. So. Yeah, we're all sitting there. We're like uh, ordering ordering pasta, and um, I just want like a bowl of pasta. I'm like, I want a bowl of pasta with marinara sauce. And the guy showed me money. He's like, okay, we, we, you get this one. And I thought it was ten dollars, but apparently it was it was twenty one dollars. So he comes he comes back with this bowl, and I'm expecting I'm expecting like a, a fairly decent sized bowl. I mean, I've been to you know so many marathons and races where. I've seen all different kinds of prices and portion sizes and, but I was simply like blown away um, in the worst way possible for the portion size of these, these, these uh, plates. I mean, it must've been like three ounces of pasta. It was a joke. And yeah, we were laughing. So we laughed when the food came out. The food there I think I was the only one that got that pasta. Everyone else is still like just getting their first bites in. And here's me. And here's me. Like, like 90 seconds later, um, my pasta was done and the waiter comes back and I say, okay, I'll take two more entrees. Like who says that? I'm like, I'll take two more entrees of the pasta. So he comes back with two more, which was just ridiculous in itself. If you think about it, I mean, no one in their right mind orders, you know, three entrees. So I don't even really care. I'm just like, I'm hungry. I need my pasta. He comes back and I finish it off. And I also had, I think like a bowl of soup or something. And um, I'm like, I got a phone call from my dad. And so I go up and I'm talking to my dad. I come back, you know, the waiter dropped all the bills down. And I see my bills sitting there in front of me on the table. I look at it. It was $79. And I'm like, thinking to myself, I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? And like, I, I, I was like in disbelief. I thought it was somebody else's bill. And I looked at, and I just could not believe it. I mean, when you think about like how much like pasta costs like and, and, and like the sauce, it's like you can make it yourself for like two bucks. And this this place charged me eighty bucks. I mean, I was just like. And then the waiter comes over there, and he's like, "Oh yeah, we know our portion sizes are, are small. You know, you can speak to our manager." And the guy we were with, um, uh, Mark, he he wasn't gonna let me not get away from the table without having something said. So this dude was ready to box the the owner of the restaurant. He flies up out of his his uh, the couch we were sitting at, and he's talking to the manager. And he was able to get one of the the um, entrees knocked off there. So instead of being charged for three $21 plates of children's pasta, I was charged only two. So even still, Dude, even it was so funny. Was it was it was it was it good at least? $53 for, like, it didn't look that good. 
Oh boy. Uh, it, oh it, was, boy. Yeah. it was okay, but it definitely it was it was not worth. It was okay on a scale of a ten. I'll rate it a six point six two. If I get that, if yeah. I got that, so, bill, yeah, I'd pass it's out. definitely not worthy of 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 twenty one dollar pass for sure. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'll actually I'll, I'll post that to my Instagram uh, tonight, and you you guys can get a laugh at that because it's I can't believe it. And then the manager came over there and he he admitted to us that his coaching yeah, it was it was really funny. Like my and first thoughts were when when they brought the pass that? out, I was like, did he order he ordered off the kids menu or something? It was. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah it, it, it looked like the kids menu or like a side dish. I mean, it literally was like like five noodles. Like, I I, just, I couldn't believe they didn't have like a. Yeah, it was it was wild. I ordered a pizza and it was fourteen dollars and it was like bigger than my head, and it it was huge. I mean, it it tasted so good too. So. Um, I feel like I got a good deal on that, but uh, overall, the restaurant was pretty lackluster. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was that was the plan. Uh, so yeah, that was a funny yeah, story. Yeah, that was it was impressive. But um, and then another thing I want to talk about is is with the following that you have on on Instagram, like <laughs> you have probably uh, double the followers that I do, and I have a lot of followers. Um, you, do you get a, you get a lot of haters and people s- saying stuff about you? Yeah, man. So like, it, it's it's like any anybody out there. I mean, like you know, whether it's you know me, LeBron, or anybody, you know, the um, there's always gonna be people that are gonna you know not not like you who you are or, or something that you do, and um, I try not to let let um, little kids you know try to tear me down because it's just it's not worth your time at, at the end of the day, and it's people that that, that try to tear you down they. Most times they've never met you, and that's all that needs to be said. You can't let people get to you that don't know you. They have not met you, and they're going to put, like, you're the So at the end of the day, or anybody, they're going to do better to support you. So I try not to worry about little clowns that just try it out you know it's just a more reflection on them than yeah you know i think it was i posted a picture of you and i on instagram and uh just said hey this would be a lot of fun this week or whatever and this guy commented on there and he said oh two assholes in one picture (laughs) 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 And, and while it was kind of funny i was like yeah, he's half right. Yeah. Wow. Uh, okay. Okay. And I was like, I was like, okay, I've never spoke to you. I don't know why I even responded. I was like, I never spoke to you before, but but um, that's fine. But I was like, what did Patrick do to you? And he said, I've never talked to either of you two. Like in person, I just, you guys both radiate in arrogance. And when you guys get together, I'm sure it's terrible. And I was like, Jesus. Oh boy. Yeah. Like this guy's a savage, you know? And I, and I get, I get stuff like that all the time, but like, it's, I thought it was fitting that there was a picture of us and the guy said one picture and two assholes and whatever. Um, but it's just like, I can't, people have this audacity to, to talk to people that like they would never talk to them in person. 
um, you could, because they can hide behind yeah. a phone or whatever it is. It's just crazy. And sometimes like it gets oh, yeah. to me and it can be like a little bit hurtful. Like I told you, I said, man, sometimes this stuff like hurts my feelings, but at the end of the day, they don't fucking matter. Like the people, there's so many people that are out to support us and just an outpouring of love. Yeah. So I try to focus on that too, but I was just curious to see if you get some crazy stuff. Oh man, there's, there's always going to be, I call them key, keyboard warriors, man. They, they, they sit behind a screen and they'll say all this stuff, man. But you know, if they saw you in person, they're going to be, you know, Oh, Hey, how's it going? You know, and they, and they wouldn't even have the balls to say nothing to you. So, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't worry, worry about those people. And while it can be hurtful, I think, oh, you know, yeah, cause at, say, the end of the, at the end of the day, you guys are doing way more it's just, it's not worth positive time, you know? for people than, the negative. So people are just usually projecting or jealous or whatever it is that they're going through. Yeah. So like, if you go to any type of a race and you look at the people that come up to you, random people that come up and talk to you and be like, Hey, you've had this impact on my, my journey. You know, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have ran my first marathon or I wouldn't have started, you know, lifting weights and trying to do a marathon or this or that. It could be any which goal. And you really find out that that positive impact you're having on people and literally worldwide, you know, people come up to you at races and that really um, validates, you know, what you're doing is in the, the running community is, is, is positive. So for every hater out there, there's, you know, thousands and thousands of others that are grateful for it. So that's the reason I always keep, you know, sharing my story and, you know, putting myself out there because I don't really, I'm not going to let one person deter me that doesn't like me because I make great friends yeah. and yeah, great definitely. Yeah. We can't, we can't let the, the negativity that, that drown like out. The oh yeah. And it's overwhelmingly positive. You know, that's so true. Like we were even at the restaurant yeah. the first night that we had dinner and one of the guys came up to you and said, Hey, I follow you, man. I'm so inspired by you. And then I walked by as we were leaving and he said, Oh shit, I follow him too. And it was like, it was cool. Like just going around all weekend and talk and all these people talking to us and, yeah. You know, me at the expo, probably I had over 60 people, you know, come up to me and introduce themselves. Like I, I was like humbled by that. And, you know, and I know that you get that all the time too. It's, it's so crazy to think like this community is that incredible, you know? So there's no way we can let these uh, negative Nancy's uh, ruin our day. hundred percent. I think that's a good place to, to honestly wrap it up. Dude, uh, Patrick, if, I'm sure everybody already knows, but if, if not, where can we find you, uh, get a hold of you? Uh, I'm on Instagram. Uh, so my, my handle is, um, I run, uh, 26 and it's the numeral two, six and then points P O I N C two, the numeral, yeah, the number two, and then that's uh two underscore. All right. sounds good. I, I mean, know, they can also just type in Patrick Cutter and you'll come up that way. Is that the easiest way for people to reach out to you or say hi or support you? Yeah. 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 So I'm on there and then, um, if you're interested in anything in uh, anything else, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm on Facebook too. So, um, but Instagram is usually like where I'm on there most, and that's where I share all my yeah. You know, the the stuff, snow, so. yeah, yeah. That's Rochester, New York, right? If I'm out there, I'm outside running and stuff. All right, cool. Well, um, and then uh, I guess the last thing is where can <laughs> yeah. where can people find out more info about your coaching? Yes, sir. Um, there's actually a link on my in my um, Instagram bio, so if you want to go there, um, I have all the info on there. Um, and if uh, if you want to click there, you can. Read all right, sounds good. Well, well, first I, I gotta say, man, it was it was great hanging out with you, you. Uh, those two days. It was 
you know, the highlight of my trip, getting to hang out with you and Chris and Aaron and Mark and uh, Lisa and the others. So that was, that was so much fun. And uh, yeah, man, it was, it was great hanging out with you guys and everybody. And uh, I think to, to uh, not, not to cut you off, I mean, it's, I think that's what, what the, the running world is so great. I mean, the races and the PRs or whatever, you know, it, it's great, but it's the people you meet and the, you know, the friendships you make along the way. I think that's what, I think that's what really, you know, keeps people coming back to races, you know. Oh, it's, 100%, it's, uh, man. It's a tribe. Friends, it's a it's a beautiful thing. And I will be back at Houston you know? uh, next next year for sure. Um, so, cool, man. Well, thanks yeah. for coming on. And we'll, uh, we'll be anxious to see how you do in the upcoming races and follow cool. along. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. Stay strong, everybody. All right, Mark and Pat. It's been a pleasure, man. Thank you guys for having me on here. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Finding Strong Podcast. We truly appreciate all of your comments, your shares, and your ratings. But more than anything, we appreciate you taking the time to listen to today's episode. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all the other major podcast apps. And if you haven't already, feel free to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Let us know what you want to hear next. So many great requests already. Until next time, stay strong. Holla, holla, sit down, Lil. Holla, Lil. Be humble. Holla, sit down.